Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. (laughs) It's Office Hours Early Edition, as always, with my friend Blaine Bartlett, mentor Blaine Bartlett. You can tell it's early because the bees are difficult for me to say. Exactly. Learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM. That's the mindset market mastermind. But I will tell you uh, that my community is loving your mastermind. I just will put that little plug in there. I'm getting great feedback uh, from everyone uh, that's coming over. And we are blessed this morning to have woken up and he looks wide awake. We're on the West Coast. I'm not sure if Keith Desen is or not, but uh, today's going to be what I call an exciting topic day because the topic that uh, our chief revenue officer of Engagency is going to talk about uh, is such an important issue. Everyone's been for years talking about the Gallup poll of the importance, Keith, of being engaged. Uh, what I want to start out with is something that's interesting to me is I've given up on the idea that I grew up with, which is our employees are going to be with us for life. Uh, you know, on average, the greatest companies in America have, you know, somewhere between seven months and nine months average of employment before they move on to something else. Um And I think that we're going to see an upswing because of it in being engaged uh, because of those short-term employment stints. Um, I know at Engagency, uh, you guys deal with this every single day, especially uh, how entrepreneurship has helped build uh, Engagency. Uh, Give me a little bit of your perspective on the importance of this idea of Engagency's enterprise technology platform and how it's going to assist us. Sure. So, you know, Engagency um, as a as a services business basically leverages, you know, various technology offerings to help out with, you know, digital marketing and product development for, you know, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 companies. Um, and entrepreneurship to us is kind of a way that we do business every day. And I know I don't want to be too buzzwordy, but, but essentially like we, we require employees that we hire to come in to have that mindset, to be flexible, to be able to pivot. They're, you know, they're not looking for a nine to five where they're just going to, you know, plot along and punch the clock and, 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 you know, just do their job day in and day out and, and not be more invested in what we're trying to do in the mission that we're trying to accomplish. You know, you hit the nail on the head with, with the short term nature of employment these days and, and the job is, has become hyper competitive. You know, it always has been in tech, but now it's even more so the pandemic pressures, the, the people not wanting to go back into offices um, and how this has affected us is we're responding to that. We're responding to what we're hearing from our employees and what enables them to have that entrepreneurial mindset. We just sold our building in Austin, Texas. So we are going completely virtual. Um, you know, we're going to have some virtual office spaces where, you know, basically in any city we can get together, we'll have centers of, of sort of excellence, as we'll call them. So we have Austin. I'm opening up a new location in D.C. as well, um, which is where I am. I'm not quite as tired as you guys, maybe. Um, but, uh, but, you know, the, the point being is that we're, we're reacting to the labor market and to the needs of the type of, of employees that we have to hire and the skill sets that they have. And this work doesn't have to be done sitting at a desk or sitting at a cube. Um, you know, you, it, it's flexible. You can do it on your own time. You can do it anywhere. Um, so we have employees that are actually, you know, traveling around and working, you know, literally out of, a, out of their, their travel vans, right? So, 
sort of working out of a van down by the river, we call it. But it's uh, but and it's it's working because as long as you got a good internet connection, you can work anywhere. Um, yeah. And so yeah. we we're really pushing that and, and enabling our employees to work how they want to work so that they can continue to kind of stick around with us a little bit longer. One of the things that this, I think, speaks to um, that I think um, is, is, is really interesting and challenging for businesses today. You know, I was in a conversation uh, with the uh, CEO of uh, uh, Junior Achievement Worldwide just the other day, and he cited a statistic that was fascinating to me. He said, you know, today's you know, worker entering the workforce can expect to have upwards of 27 jobs in you know, his or her career. And they will have at least seven different distinct careers in their lifespan, uh, working lifespan. Now, when I heard that, I mean, the 20, 20 some odd jobs, I can get my head around that. It's kind of like, okay, I mean, I look at my own self and I kind of, okay, I, there's been a lot of transitions. Um, but the distinct career comp you know, component of that uh, statistic was fascinating to me. And, and this is where I'm going with the question. Uh, it sounds as if you know one of the things that Engagency is doing here is helping organizations redefine what a job actually is, and ultimately, in the in that context, redefine what a career ends up being. Would that be a, a kind of a fair assessment of, of what I'm hearing you say? Well, uh, yeah, in a sense, I mean, we are we're doing it honestly to remain competitive mm -hmm. in the job market. I mean, we you know if you don't offer this. You see surveys time and time again across companies, large and small. Um, if you start requiring people to go back and sit in an office all day, they're going to leave um, because there there's too much opportunity and demand for a more remote working lifestyle. And then there's also just simply the demographic. I mean, the, the, in the tech world, particularly, it's a younger demographic that's doing this work, that's learning the skills, you know, that are going to meet the demand of the future where it's you know, whether it's AI or e-commerce or whatever it is um, and we have to respond to how those employees want to work um, or our competitors are going to hire them you know it, it's not just about salary anymore and benefits you know you actually have to enable your employees to work how they want to work um, which is it's a definite mind shift in, in the employment world i mean we even go so far as that we pay for national park annual passes right we tell our people like go out in the parks if you want to travel and work from where you are we don't care get your work done, hit your deadlines, and you can work how you want to. And, you know, through all this, I'm curious because we've ignored engagement as, you know, to me, the key indicator of productivity. And so, you know, throughout the years, Blaine and I have discussed the high percentage of people that are not engaged. And, you know, they worried about engagement with remote working. And I laughed. I said, you can't get any worse than like 90% of the people not engaged when they're sitting in the office. So, exactly. you know, it, it was something that was just ignored. And I kept as a consultant telling, you know, the executives of fortune 500 companies, imagine if we could just get to 85 or 80% engagement in the realm of productivity mm -hmm. uh, for your 7,000 employees. Imagine how many hours of productivity that is, even if they stay at the same level of, intelligence and skills and knowledge, you know, you're going to have an incredible boost uh, in your economy and your revenue and your bottom line. Um, what uh, um, hurdles or, or resistance or obstacles do you see? You know, I, I see my young daughters working remotely and, 
you, you know, there was a lot going on in my own office that I saw. What are some of the things that you see that do still, you know, get in the way of, you know, that engagement and productivity as you're at the national parks and moving from hub to hub? Well, I think, you know, first of all, you people have different personalities. Um, you've got introverts and extroverts and some people need that culture and to be around other people. And so we have to figure out a way to take that in the larger concept of context of being remote. Um, and, you know, there are some tasks, I mean, you're, you're, you know, you gotta be on site with clients sometimes, you know, when, when that's a thing again, you know, when we're actually getting together and meeting a lot again, um, you know, that, that is another aspect that, you know, being fully remote and, you know, out in the woods, you know, that, that doesn't really work. You kind of need to be near an airport sometimes. Um, so one of the ways that we've, from a culture perspective, that, that we're trying to focus on moving beyond owning our own office spaces, we're going to get together on a regular basis, you know, monthly, quarterly, whatever it is, get the team together and these centers, you know, maybe once a year, get everyone together somewhere um, and then have that, that connectivity and that engagement amongst each other, because you can't fully lose that. I mean, if everyone is remote, you know, people need that interaction. They need that feel of the team and, um, and, you know, not having a building and not having that expense, we can actually do some pretty interesting things. I mean, we can meet in lots of different cities, you know, we can go to Miami in the winter, you know, we can, yeah. we can go to San Fran in the fall, you know, wh whatever it is, we can go there and, and kind of meet and bond and, you know, do what we need to do from a business perspective. Uh, and then also have a little fun at the same time. You know, the, the, the catch basin here, I guess kind of the bucket that I'm here you addressing is, you know, you're, you're working with organizations to design an experience that is engaging, you know, ultimately. Right. Yeah. And work becomes an experience that is engaging, not an experience that I want to run away from. Correct. It's not, yeah, it's not a lodestone. It's, it's something you enjoy. And, yeah. and you know, Blaine, you make a good point there. I, I, um, I sold my building as well, Keith, and and laughed my way all the way home during COVID, uh, because I had a law a law building, you know, basically because I was in the sports agency, marketing. It was basically your basic law firm building, and you know, I started realizing that another option of engagement is, you know, I have fun offices now. So I have an office at SoFi Stadium. I have a studio at the Wynn. I have, you know, another studio that I use. So uh, although I allow people different days to work and give them freedom to work remotely and to travel, you know, with internet connection, that's the only requirement that I have on, hey, work from anywhere as long as you're connected. Uh, but I have found that engagement has gone so high that you know, I've never seen so many people want to rush to work when we're meeting at the stadium uh, or, you know, yeah. at the win. Uh, so what do you think about the future of these, uh, you know, kind of like the Starbucks model of offices? Hey, coming to work is itself an experience when you have in a group uh, in a workplace setting of something fun uh, to do that. Even if you were just, you know, renting it for a day, uh, a fun place to, have to to all get together and work. Absolutely. And that's, that is a model that we're, we're looking at with spaces and you know, the company spaces or Regis or, you know, mm -hmm. there's all of these virtual office companies, but you know, the, the buildings that they have and the areas that they have tend to be really nice, you know, and for our workforce, they've got, you know, coffee on tap, maybe a beer, you know, they've got good open office, floor to ceiling windows. So these are, these are generally places that people want to be together and they want to meet and you've got the flexibility, you know, once you set up a, 
a relationship with these companies, they're everywhere. They're in every major city. So, mm -hmm. you, you know, yep. the, your options are unlimited as far as where you meet, what kind of space you want, um, <clears throat> you know, what you're doing when you get together. Um, and yeah, I, I think that's the future. I mean, you know, if I were going to invest in any business right now, it's probably a, a virtual office business because I think that's the that's yeah. the direction that things are going. I, boy, yeah. I'd absolutely concur with that. I, the nature of work is changing. I mean, it truly is. It's, it's be, you know, when work becomes a lifestyle choice, employers need to pay attention in a different way. I mean, because truly, yeah, I was talking with a guy, yeah, WD-40, uh, you know, the, the, the lubricant or the, I was talking to their CEO and chairman yesterday and yeah, they've got a retention rate. They've got an engagement rate and they, they've been doing engagement surveys uh, with the company for, you know, 20 some odd years now, their engagement hovers at around 93% and they are publicly declaring that they want a 95% engagement rate. And they, they're operating in 173 countries. Uh, I mean, it's, it's fascinating how they're paying attention to this and it's all around quality of experience. It, 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 it truly is. And this is a manufacturing company. You know, right. They've right. been around since 1953. These guys have cracked the code in a very interesting way. And that's unique. I mean, manufacturing companies, I built a couple of e-commerce practices around manufacturing and they asked to innovate on anything. Um, so, you know, when it comes to culture anyway. And so I think that's uh, that's interesting. Another bit of feedback that we heard, it's just quality of life, too, of people. Yeah. You know, most of our team is based in Austin, Texas. And I'm sure, as you know, Austin is just a crazy boom town right now. And so traffic was miserable and people are like, well, if I, you know, I can spend an hour in traffic every day. Or, you know, we can get together as a team in some virtual space between 10 and 2 o'clock, you know, and then avoid the traffic. And, you know, so that, that quality of life is another thing that really played into, you know, giving people flexibility about where they're working. Well, we awesome. appreciate everything that you're doing with guiding us in a great direction on how to keep the engagement and retention rates high, uh, which is a great challenge today, especially uh, in the pandemic. And uh, I agree with you. It's an experiential uh, trust in our employees that will keep our employees engaged. Engagency.com. Thank you so much. We uh, will have you back, Keith, for waking up early. Uh, not as early as us, I guess. In not as early as us. <laughs> Chief Revenue Officer of Engagency, Keith Desern. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Have hey, a good one. Great to meet you. Great to nice meet you. To meet you. Right yeah, on. Have a great weekend. All right. That was topic number one that I wanted to talk about. And now topic number two, we have our friend, Brian. Brian Epizito. He is the CEO and co-founder of Epizito International Enterprises. And he has his new Nodal. <laughs> and yeah. Nodal is uh, a holding that's taken over the world. Brian, uh, first of all, you're not in D.C., I don't think. Where, where are <laughs> yeah. you? I'm in uh, Central Jersey, right on the Jersey Shore, Asbury oh. Park area. Central oh, Jersey, okay. that's a good place to own real estate with, with the exodus of Manhattan, that's for sure. People probably lining outside your door to buy your house. Yes, they are. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Uh, but you, you uh, recently, with Turncoin and Exchange, uh, yeah. you know, you're supporting some of my good friends there. I see Drew Brees, Pat Mahomes, Randy Jackson. Uh, give us a little bit of background uh, on sure. Nodal. Sure. And thank you, David. Blaine, pleasure to meet you. Uh, so Nodal and, Nodal and Turncoin are, are one of my holdings. Over the last 20 years, I've built a holding company. There's presently over 75 different holdings in it. 
I've accumulated over 150 joint ventures around the world and operating in over 25 different industries. So with that being said, this chapter of my life, I love to take those 20 years of getting my, uh, my ass kicked and those learning experiences every day you can, you can imagine. And, and finally finding a home of why all that made sense. You know, I've went through every experience you can imagine. I've built a great arsenal of resources, assets, relationships, um, and great accounting, great legal, and great compliance. So now I get to work with startups, even up to Fortune 500 companies, and create real tangible value. Yeah, I don't like the idea of unicorns. I don't like the idea of unsustainable valuations. I like real business models that are based on positive earnings and a multiplier that the market can handle. So with that, that being said, Nodal and Turncoin are two of my most coveted holdings. Nodal has become the world's largest wireless network uh, without building a single cell tower or a single Wi-Fi station. You know, we're connecting hundreds of millions of devices around the world. Uh, millions of smartphones are connecting to IoT devices. So there's a good chance on your gentleman's cell phone, our Nodal SDK is sitting in some of our app partners, uh, mobile applications, our own Nodal Cash app. And every time you walk past an IoT device, so that would be a Bluetooth beacon or some sort of uh, Bluetooth device that's broadcasting out data, Nodal is a global network that can pick up that data, move it to the cloud, and then the demand for that data is quite exceptional. You know, we, we believe there's more value based around the devices around your mobile phone than what advertisers think the user profile is, and, and we're proving that to be true. Uh, and the other one is Turncoin. Turncoin's five years of development. It's the rollout of the exchange. There's going to be all different sub-exchanges. So think of the athlete exchange, the sports exchange, the esports exchange, the actors exchange, the business exchange. Um, every business model you can think of will have its own exchange. And then people inside of those different businesses will be able to monetize their popularity for the first time in their life. So they take all of their fans and followers and supporters and have the ability to own a virtual share in that individual. Uh, a, it opens up tremendous monetization. The uh, celebrity or the influencer or the athlete gets 90% of those revenues. The exchange gets 10%. Uh, and then what I love even more importantly is it gives the ability for amateurs or people that want to enter into those businesses the chance to fuel and fund their career. So they can go to their friends and family, uh, supporters, peers in that industry, and they can go and say, hey, buy a virtual share in me. I'm going to be a, a pro tennis player. I'm going to be a pro golfer. I'm going to go into this different type of industry and be a celebrity, or I want to be a musician. Uh, so many, many years of work uh, doing things the right way is usually the long and more expensive way, but we got great legal. We're working with all regulatory agencies and compliance, and um, and we think we got a, a real home run here. <clears throat> so. anyway, I've, I've... <laughs> Sorry, I threw a lot at you guys. I've been ready to go. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just, the Wayne doesn't have a copy yet. He's stuck. Yeah, I haven't had my copy yet. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the gears in the brain are just kind of you know, grinding here a little. The idea of inventing a, a, a place that has never existed before. David and I are going to talk about this a little bit here. But, but yeah, yeah, buying a virtual share in me is an example. I mean, who would have ever thought that there would be a market for something like that, number one? And then number two, how do I go about actually leveraging that market in a fungible way? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I, I never get uh, tired of talking to entrepreneurs you know, who are on the cutting edge that have identified a niche that said to them, there's something here. And they went, OK. And they and they listened and they actually started you know, leveraging what they were listening for. What what and I'm real curious here, Brighton, what got yeah. you because this is a really unique space. What got you running in this direction? Yeah, because you've got a number of different enterprises there. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I love that question. I, I'm to a fault open to the world. You know, I'm looking at opportunities all the time. And, and I always say every action or lack of action or decision leads to where you are present day. So I, speaking with you gentlemen, I think 
thousand decisions prior that led me to be on this call with you guys. So the same thing happened to me with Turncoin. I was asked to speak in Dubai Investment Week in 2019. Uh, flew out there, gave a great speech, but I was following the inventor and founder of Turn Turncoin, Rudolf Markroff, and, and I said, oh God, I gotta follow this guy. I was in awe of what he was discussing, you know, what, how he came to be. He was sitting at a pub one day with a friend in South Africa, and the guy said, I knew this soccer player or this football player was going to be a star. He just got a hundred and something million dollar contract. We need to build something that I can invest into that person. I knew they were going to be somebody. Uh, and that that led the gears going. And and I love to be that, you know, conduit. You know, I used to laugh. People used to call me. If you're calling me, you're really out of all options because the way that I think and the way that I operate and the way that I strategize is a little bit different than, than the norm. And then I realized, hey, wait, there's a lot of value in the way that I think and how I can get people to solve their problems and how I can open up certain doors for people. Uh, so 15 years, I did not monetize myself correctly. And then I really kicked in in 20, 2016. I met Rudolph in 2019. I said, hey, listen, I want to be involved. What do you need? Guns on the table. How can I help? Uh, and then I'm, I'm all in. You know, if, if I believe in somebody or something and I love the team and I think they've got great morals, family values and ethics, you know, I'll, I'll give you 100 percent of me as long as I, I believe that you're going to give everything you got to make this venture a success. Uh, and then since then, you know, I, I provided support, opportunities, um, uh, certain relationships, certain great, great uh, celebrities that will be coming on board to promote this thing. And, uh, you know, we're doing it the right way. It's the, it's the long road. But like we got Drew Brees is a, is a global ambassador. He is all in and fully supporting this. Uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, from the Chiefs, Randy Jackson, American Idol talent. Uh, then we're going to keep rolling out what we believe are the top five people in every different exchange to give it that boost that credibility and that and that mass exposure so you're going to see top five people and actors and celebrities and musicians and entertainers and then the business side which i'm really excited for i would love to be able to go on linkedin and, and see somebody that i think is going to be a rock star uh, entrepreneur and be able to click a button and buy a virtual share in that person uh, and the fun part kicks in yeah, after they sale. Start, i i'm for sale too and, and I, what i what i really love about it is you know this is a theory and I don't, I don't want to make fun of like the uh, Lindsay Lohans or the Britney Spears of the world, but I do believe if you attach a value to something that somebody can see in real time, I think they're going to make smarter decisions. I think they're going to be more wiser about where they go and put themselves in, in, in different situations. Will, will they say yes to taking that deal? Will they say no? Will they go and party this late night with all these people and be ha have this visibility and exposure? I think it's going to be a, a, a gut check to, to putting people in a better path. And, and that, again, that's just my personal theory. You know, that, that's an interesting point because you essentially make it uh, attractive to be a role model. And, and I'm talking here specifically for the, you know, these public figures. Yeah, I mean, it's it's more than image. It really is. There's a fungible, I mean, there, there's a transactional component to what I do in my life because people have shares here. And the, yeah, my, my shareholders are going to yeah, be invested in what I'm doing. It's going to be interesting. And, and the, key, the key fun fact is after everybody gets a million virtual shares, when they sell out, they trade in the open market. You know, so think like a public stock, that the market demand and the value. And if you, you, know, if you win a World Series that year, your popularity goes up. Ideally, your, your virtual share price will go up. Uh, and, and obviously, the, the good work that you're doing and the exposure that you're, you're getting for yourself. Fascinating. You know, Brian, um, and I know Blaine and I are going to have a, little session on uh, time, space, and gravity after this. But it's so interesting to me in the traditional sense of community and marketplace. Uh, we had, you know, such a confined 
uh, area to create a marketplace and to create a community. And, you know, obviously I've been working with celebrities, athletes and entertainers longer than most people uh, besides Lee Steinberg, I think. Uh, and that was the firm that I ran. But we were always confined, you know, by some sort of, you know, hard uh, boundaries. And then today with your network, uh, which then opens up all boundaries. And then, of course, in exchange for the limitless boundaries that we create, it's all about community. And all, all of these things uh, are great ideas, but you have to have a massive community in order to, to truly take advantage of the exchange. But I think people discount uh, the value if they have a small community. And I think, you know, where I'm focused in on is allowing people to speak to their frequency and their spectrum in a smaller community, uh, you know, take a corporation in logistics uh, where exchange occurs and how can we reduce the amount of uh, cost in the stack uh, as we pass goods from end to the consumer. And all of these things, you know, are happening so quickly. How do we, number one, educate people? Because most people don't know what an NFT is. They don't know and understand uh, you know, how an exchange like yours would work, let alone they're still catching up on when you talk about, you know, an ecosystem of connected devices and how important the data is. There's a massive amount of information and 90% of the people on earth uh, are still, you know, beyond understanding. And the 10% that do are really already monetizing it. Exactly. It. I was, you know, yeah. spoke last night with Dan Fleischman and the elevator studios and, yeah. you know, there's kids there making seven and even eight figures. And Forbes Riley and I were sitting there looking at each other and going, is that real? <laughs> you know, and I'm an open-minded, open-hearted, open-handed person. I'm, I'm like you, you know, I'm wide open to this stuff, but there's so much information. I'm, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, NFTs and NIL and crypto. And I'm just trying to figure out the critical business issues. How have you been able to stay aware? And two, how do you think we can educate everyone on that? Yeah, I think about that often. For you know, it's, it's accessibility and ease of use for anything. Like wh wh when you talk about logistics, asset tracking for nodal and the wireless network, that's the biggest use case. In North America, there's 2 billion pallets move around the country a year. That's a lot of goods. And then they have no idea. There's, no, there's never been a way of tracking those goods in real time throughout that entire process, especially in some mom and pop antiquated trucking companies where they have a bill lading and they got to sign off for it. So there's a little bit of a delay, but with a very low cost Bluetooth beacon, we can track those goods in real time. We can locate, locate them in warehouses. Uh, you know, Clorox, for example, I think they do 40 million a year in destroy and donate just for lost goods in their own ecosystem and their own warehouses. Uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for technologies that are easy to use. If something you can easily download onto your phone and you can understand it and you have a utility of it. You know, I, I always said crypto is not going to be mess until I can go to a, a food store and buy my bananas with it. That's when it has to be so easy for people to understand, scan a code, be able to have that utility. Uh, to answer your question, there's a long road of that discussion and education before people adopt it. You know, I think there was probably many years before people felt comfortable downloading uh, or, or going to a website on online and buying a stock. You know, it took a long time for the for people that fully trust that experience know that their, their data is safe is it safe right now we're like hopefully a few years ago target had a massive uh hack and everybody's credit card information's got got stolen but you know, it's look, funny look, we, we can't even vote online yeah. right we, we don't <laughs> right. Even, we, 
We're, we're fine wiring tons of money now online. That, that's not a problem, but we can't even vote. So you nailed it. Yeah, it's, it's easy to use accessibility. And what I do love about that, I love the household. Uh, my earlier career was I built a big beauty company. In the late 90s, I built the first B2B, B2C e-commerce platform. And I'm always thinking, what can happen in the household to spark conversation and to spark a bond? So what I do love about this giant gap in understanding and technology is you have kids and grandkids hopefully having a moment sitting down with their mom, mother or father or their grandparents and saying, hey, look at this. This is amazing. Let me show you how we can do this. Let's get the family involved in buying these digital assets. Let's let's start to do things together. And, and you know, you have that flip of script where you're not learning from your parents, but the parents are learning from their kids. And that's that's an interesting idea. Again, it's going to take time. People need to feel um, comfortable and they need to feel safe and, and they don't and not stupid. You know, they don't want to they don't want to talk about it or even discuss it because they, they're not they don't know what the hell they're talking about. And we'll get yeah. there. And it's, it's exciting times. Yeah. No, it's it, already uh, happened. We just haven't arrived yet. Yeah. Yeah. It, well, you know, just like purchase. I mean, take it back to the basics. Right. I remember so many years ago, my friends would not buy anything online because they didn't just trust the credit card part of it. <laughs> you know, yeah. they, they literally were terrified to buy anything online uh, and look how far we've come. Well, Brian, thank you so much for leading the way. Thank you so much for representing uh, people that are over 17 years old in this space, uh, which is very encouraging to Blaine and I, uh, and CEO and co-founder of Esposito International Enterprises, EIE.rocks is where they can find you. Anywhere else people should reach out if they want to learn more, hire you to speak, put you on a panel, or have you consult with them. Oh, I'd be honored. I, I use LinkedIn and Twitter. I don't use any other social media platform. So Brian J. Esposito, I get back to everybody as quick as I, I can because I value that they gave me their time. So they uh, they deserve a little bit of mine. And I appreciate you gentlemen having me on today. It was, it was a true pleasure and honor. We need more uh, guys like you on TikTok. That's all I got to say. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Thanks, guys. Great have a great day. Enjoy the beautiful day. Thanks, guys. Stay well. Ciao. Awesome. All right, Mr. B, the double B, the place to be. All right, we're going to rock and roll for 15 minutes. I've been waiting for two weeks for this conversation. Let's. I'm going to let you lead off. I want to talk about time, which I study every day, space, uh, which is obviously all around us. And, of course, yeah. one of my favorite, the law of gravity itself, gravity itself. So go ahead, lead us off, and then, uh, you know, let, let's uh, do what we See do. See where we end up. We, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going to just kind of, you know, something Brian said just kind of you know, shifted a little bit about how I wanted to start this conversation and, and just take thought as a marketplace. And that's basically, you know, where I want to, you know, thought as a marketplace. And when people think about thoughts, nobody knows where thoughts come from. I mean, they just kind of pop in and we, you know, we've got about 70 to 80,000 thoughts a day. The average person does. Now, what is a thought? You know, the thought's just an electro, you know, electrochemical reaction in the brain. You know, that's, you know, that's the, the mechanics around that thing. So the, that little firing mechanism is, oh, aha, this little th thought triggers through. Now, because it's an electrochemical mag uh, uh, reaction, there's actually something in play here. I mean, and literally something in play. There's molecules moving, there's electrons moving, there's all kinds of stuff. And... These things, because they physically exist, they have mass. And because they have mass, they have gravity. And, and gravity basically is you know, associated with mass. The greater the mass of an object, the greater the magnetic, or the magnetic, the gravitational pull. So all that being said, this is a very simple thing. Thoughts have gravity. Thoughts I have gravity. That. 
And, and, and because and they have do. gravity. Mm-hmm. I said they, they have what? gravity and, and there's two meanings to that and they both apply. Absolutely. Yeah. And now here's where it gets interesting you know, in terms of thought being a marketplace, you know, in, in time and space. When people start thinking about possibilities, and I and I love the conversation with Brian because it really popped a couple of things for me. And and, and you know, we were looking at you know, out there. You know, most people's goals live out in time somewhere. It's out in the future, and because it's out in the future, there is this space, you know, you know that's kind of associated with that. So when you know when do you want to have this happen? Well, I've got a five year goal. Five-year goal. Okay, well, in the thought process, five years is out there a long way for most people. And so the gravitational pull of that thought, because it hasn't coalesced around that thing, is actually pretty weak. And as long as it remains out there in space, it also remains out there in time. And it becomes difficult to achieve. Because there's not a gravitation, and this is where the law of attraction starts to be kind of an interesting uh, conversation. When you start moving that objective into experience, yeah, and and this is you know you start working with frequency. What's the frequency of that goal that I'd like to have attained in my life, and that I'd like to you know be manifesting? I start entertaining it in the context of my thought structure, my feeling structure, and there's a whole dynamic that begins to occur in my body that begins to up-level the frequency at which I'm operating. Those frequencies also have a gravitational component to them. And when I start moving time and space internal, as opposed to having it be external to me, I start creating a gravitational pull. And when, when I start eliminating past and future from my conversation, and I start experiencing all that there is, is a now, and everything exists in this now. I may not be experiencing it, but it all exists now. All I need to do is up-level my frequency, and when I move my frequency band, I automatically begin to move the gravitational pull of who I am because I move myself up, or just metaphorically up. I'm changing frequency structure. And because I'm changing frequency structure, I begin to change identity. My mindset changes. My identity changes. And identity for an individual has the greatest single uh, gravitational pull in their life. That's the thing that actually works. Yeah, my identity, my mindset has a gravitational pull that attracts whatever it is that I'm actually experiencing in my life today. So by changing mindset, by changing the way that I view future, eliminating future, I begin to move it into present, into the experience of now. That whole gravitational dynamic kicks in and it becomes an attractor. And it becomes an attractor not to bring something new in that has never been there, but to actually manifest what's always been there. And that possibility now becomes a reality. So you know, in the law of attraction, we'll talk about you know the law of vibration. But we, the thing that we're continuously missing, in my experience, is a conversation around the gravitational pull of it. That's why I think thought as a marketplace becomes a really interesting meme to play with. What's the gravity of my thoughts? And to add to that is one of the things you know that is listed there to me, which ties this all together, is the idea of time and where 
for me, this all makes so much sense. And understanding the present, understanding now, understanding accessing and manifesting and attracting all are determinative upon one frequency idea. And that is this, that the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. Uh, speed of light is what determines the 24 hours of activity that we're given in the present, right? We live on this earth presently, uh, physically, physically, uh, you know, the mass embodiment that we're given lives on this earth under the context, the man-made construct uh, that took me a while to wrap my arms around what that meant, but the man-made construct of time is based on the speed of light. Now, when you realize what Blaine's talking about, this frequency, this leveling up, that the speed of thought, because not only is it in a mass that has gravitational pull, it's actually quantitatively measurable in also speed or frequency, the only thing, right? The speed of thought vibrates or has a frequency higher than the speed of light. Mm -hmm. And this is why I talk about focusing and refocusing uh, as a multitasking because you're actually bending time uh, with that. But even moreover, uh, it eliminates, the speed of thought eliminates time. Uh, yep. The speed of thought and, and, and if you don't believe me that it moves faster than the speed of time, then go ahead and think of something 3,000 or 30,000 years ago, and it's real. And then think about something 30,000 years from now, and it's real. But it's present now. It has a mass mm -hmm. now. That thought about the dinosaur, that thought about Moses, that thought about you know the trillion, the gal trillion galaxies and flying there by blinking your eyes, you know, as we did, you know, in the 50s with Jeannie or, you know, blinking her eyes and going like this, that actually was time travel at its greatest because that thought travel as a marketplace, right? And I think this is the continuum that we're stuck in right now is that we're starting to realize as they're selling virtual, you know, worlds, you know, they're selling real estate and leasing real estate in virtual worlds as we speak mm -hmm. to me. That blows a lot of traditional people's minds, but it doesn't mind because your perspective is your reality. And if if there's a marketplace in thought, then why can't there be you know truly a token or a a price to put on the community of thought? Yeah, yeah. The <coughs> people we, you know our our experience, our real world experience, quote unquote, real world experience is a linear experience. Yeah, it's past, present, future. It's linear. So people's default mindset is when we're going to achieve something, we need to go. And, and in that linearity, there's a cause effect. How did I get here? Yeah. Well, I did this. I did, you know, and that, and that created something. I did that and that created something. So there's a cause effect and it's the default way of thinking. So if I'm going to look to where I want to go, I typically will default to what's my first step. And that linearity yeah, involves taking time. How much time will it take me to get to that outcome? Blow that up. All there is is now. My thought has gravity, and it can be a quantum shift. We live in a frequency field. We live in a frequency field. Yeah, that this is where we exist is in a frequency field. Up level the frequency, and it doesn't take much time to do that. But I have to get integrated. It's an integrative move. Yeah, I have to live it, breathe it, smell it, taste it, touch it. Yeah, in my thought. And that's where the gravity begins to come in. 
when I when there's that condensation that occurs, that granularity begins to be felt in my body. That's where gravity begins to really be a pull. Now, and you talk about bending time space. Yeah, gravity. If, if, it does. I mean, it it will bend space, and time shortens. And this is you know I'm going to intertwine one more thing because faith is so important within the construct. Faith is so important in construct of understanding that the speed of thought moves faster than the speed of light, that gravity, time, and space all can be a benefit, not a resistor, right? Mm -hmm. It it can actually propel us. And I'll give an example where I have applied it through the lessons that I've learned at bartonblainbartlett.com is why the law of gravity was so important beyond understanding that everything has mass uh, as it holds energy Uh, And then, of course, once it has mass, the law of gravity applies. But where faith comes into uh, the play here is that if you understand the law of gravity and anything that has that electrical charge, that emotional charge, anything will have a a gravitational pull. The faith comes in to say, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be at the right place at the perfect time. Then the law of Goya connects it all that says in you know something i love that you keep reinforcing in my life right nothing happens until it moves dave you know you got it you got to have activity get off your ass uh you can't sit there high on your mom's couch dreaming about a ferrari i don't care if you're Sadhguru, deepak chopra or you know master shaw it doesn't matter you you got to get off your ass and do something and so the law of gravity then applies with this law of goya that but then again faith comes in to say this as you you know raise your awareness and level up your frequency, you're going to be aware of resistance, void, shortages, obstacles, pain, struggles, setbacks, mistakes, and failures. The faith itself will tell you, hey, terrific. I'm accountable, right? Outside of the realm of liability, I'm accountable. I have obviously attracted this from my activities. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to learn from it? Now, it's interesting if you take abuse uh, for a nine-year-old, for example, you know, it's distinguished by the nine-year-old is not liable, right? He, he, because he's no. being abused. But the accountability is at a higher level and a scientific means that either through past lives or this realm of timelessness, it's been attracted to the nine-year-old. Yeah. And the only way to solve it through faith because faith will allow you to angle to what you want and learn the lesson. And then the law of attraction puts us into a better place. And that again, takes that faith. And so how does faith to you intertwine with time, space, and gravity? Faith has gravity. I love that. Very simply. Explain that real quick. We got got two minutes. I'm going to let you (laughs) blow everyone's mind. I want you to write it down. Everyone that's listening, faith. And when Blaine says gravity, think about this. That word is not an accident. So when something has gravity, obviously it puts you at the right place at the perfect time, but it also has meaning. Yeah. Right. Gravity means meaning as well. It does. I look around and I don't see what I say I want, but I have faith that it exists. I have faith that it exists. It hasn't manifested itself in my experience but I have faith that it exists. And I, and I hold that faith. Thought has gravity in the same way that faith has gravity. I, I hold that. I hold that. I build it. I amass it. I amass it. And in that amassing, 
that gravitational pull becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And what already exists will now manifest if I'm holding faith that it does in fact exist. I mean, faith, faith is the belief in a reality that I, my senses tell me doesn't exist. That, that's essentially what faith is. It's, a, it's the belief in a reality, and belief is the key word here. It's the belief in the reality that doesn't currently exist in my sensorial experience. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It does exist. And to let go of that basically abdicates yeah, any energetic pull that it's ever going to create. Yeah, and the energetic pull has no meaning. In other words, it has no gravity unless you believe in limitlessness and infinity, that everything already exists in this field of intention or in this field of yeah. electronics or this field of energetics and genetics, uh, genetics being the conduit of energetics. And so for me to understand the degree in which someone has faith will determine the strength of the pole of the timelessness. Yep. Yep. And Absolutely. Yeah. And that's why, you know, in the religious context, you know, people love to put labels and, and, you know, try to define things so they can understand it better. But in the end, whether you, you know, you believe in secular religion or not, you need to have faith. And, you know, that faith allows so many things in, in our life. Well, we're going to have a, a, a part two of this and yeah. uh, per this is an incredible start. I, it's like drinking through a fire hose. I, you know, it, it's amazing. I'm going to finish this with, with you Blaine, because you know, we, we get into these deep conversations, you and I, not just with each other, but with other people and, and our mentors yeah. and, and, and mentees. But I, you know, when I go to events, it's still so interesting to me. Some people, nobody comes up to me and says, Oh, Dave, you know, the ideas that you have about time, space, and gravity have uh, changed my life. Uh, most of the time, people come up to me and say, man, you changed my life. I, I, I say thank you before I go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to make sure that, uh, you know, we're, we're, it's not what we say, it's what people hear. And, uh, you know, all, even though you tell me that you say thank you when you go to bed, thank you itself has gravity. gravitational pull and faith. Uh, thank, yep. gratitude is the highest form of faith uh, to yep. say I don't really see it there but I know these things are happening I don't understand them but I'm so grateful I'm not taking for granted what other people are wishing for uh, and that happens every day Blaine Bartlett I'm so grateful for you learn.blainebartlett.com forward slash LMM mindset mastermind moving possibility to profit through time space and gravity uh, thank you so so much my friend uh, you bet buddy. Have a great day. You bet. Love you. All right. Last but not least, we're rocking and rolling. I'm on my way to Indianapolis for summer camp and to move my daughter into back into school. Look at that haircut. Look at the mustache. <laughs> Semi-shaven. Kevin Palmieri. Alan Lazarus. Check that out. I almost got it into my subconscious, Lazarus. We're there. Uh, Lazarus uh, is um, the deliverer in the Bible, right? Mm -hmm. and i'm the beloved servant so you and i belong together and uh paul mary is the chef right i'm the i'm the muscle dave i'm the muscle of it <laughs> all right 
my buff brothers, the health of all wealth, the next level university. You guys are not together for the first time in a long time. So that must be a good sign that things are going well. All right. <laughs> Let's show people how we rock and roll. We got a full 30 minutes or 28 minutes to rock and roll before we make. I'm, I'm on my way to SoFi again. My new office is incredible. So when you guys come visit, no more hotel room throwing up beds on the wall for us to get together. <laughs> we'll be in the greatest stadium ever built, SoFi. In my new office and podcast studio there. All right. Who's going to lead off and show people how mentoring should be done? Shall I do it, Alan? Oh, yeah, man. So, Dave, obviously one of the biggest parts of your story is losing everything early on. And something I don't know that I've heard you talk about is how you and if you had to forgive yourself. Like, how did you forgive yourself? What was the process for you getting over that? Oh, great question. And yes. Sometimes I still have to forgive myself uh, because I get stuck in the realm of, you know, oh my gosh, if I had that, you know, especially now, like every time real estate goes crazy, I think about all the real estate I owned, right? And then I got to forgive myself uh, and, or I'll say, I should have bought that. Oh, it wouldn't matter. I would have lost it anyway. That's like the saving grace. You know, <laughs> my wife's like, ah, you could have, we could have, should have. I'm like, yeah, I would have lost it anyway. Uh, so, you know, what good is it in 1993 if I bought that high rise downtown? Yeah, whatever. Um, so forgiveness is through the five daily practices and my values, right? Gratitude. Gratitude gives me the perspective of finding light, love, and lessons and everything. So if I actually have the mindset, heart set, and hand set to find light, love, and lessons, it automatically is a forgiving attitude, right? Because we can't, you can't love or find the light and love in someone that's attacking you or in a food that you naturally, you know, don't like the taste of or an activity that you naturally uh, at its surface, don't like, or a person that rubs you the wrong way. The minute you start to take the perspective of finding light, love, and lessons, forgiveness is absolutely necessary. And the only way that we can give forgiveness is to have it. And so then we lead to, okay, I have this perspective of time, space, and gravity as Blade and I were discussing before you guys got here, but I have this you know, attitude of abundance, of an infinite, limitless world. Well, now I have to forgive myself when I'm not in the flow or in alignment with that, I'm creating interference, void shortages and obstacles when I'm, I need to forgive myself. And then it makes it quite easy, right? I love that word gravity today we were talking about, right? Gravity is the acknowledgement and awareness that everything has mass that has energy or emotions tied to it, energy in motion, but even moreover, gravity means meaning. And so as we give meaning to everything we see, and if that meaning is not one in which is reducing the interference, but creating it. Forgiveness is the washer, right? It cleans away the interference mm -hmm. and because it gives us control. Then we can move on to accountability, which says, okay, I did this either in this lifetime, past lifetimes or future lifetimes. Liability has no place here in blame, shame, and justification. The best thing to do is not waste my time in the interference of blame, shame, justification below the line in the interference world of ego-based consciousness. But moreover, I am accountable because I am searching what? Right back to the lessons to grow, accelerate, and expand, to have peace. And guess what? When we execute on the feeling of accountability at peace, forgiveness is in action. So those three in the continuum, 
execute to create effective communication with the greatest source of energy, light, love, and lessons, and through appreciation, forgiveness, and accountability, adding value to it and giving it away to others to help them do the same, to clear the interference, not just between us and the great source, but us and everyone else to empower them, to empower others to do the same, exponentially creating a collective consciousness of a higher vibration or frequency. And this, you know, to me is an essential part of every single thing that I do. And it's not just once. You can't just say, oh, you know, I did this. I forgive myself. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's why I think so asinine about, you know, some of these horrendous perpetrators of truth. And, you know, they're, you know, on their deathbed, you know, in jail, being put to death, maybe even. And, you know, in one statement, they seek forgiveness, you know, by accepting Christ or whatever. Just because you say that doesn't mean you've cleared all the interference that you've created, right? And I, in just because you say, I forgive myself, it's just the same way to say, I want to quit smoking because I quit smoking today. I've now quit smoking. We all know that the conscious continuum doesn't work that way. It's a good start. Mm. And maybe, you know, you'll get some, you know, break in the universe, you know, as, as your body expires here. Uh, it's a good start. Maybe you're sending a story or a lesson to yourself for your next lifetime that you're going to start off in a different place without the, you know, unconscious competencies that have created you to create interference and harm others or attack others. So just to clarify on that. So basically what you're saying, Dave, is that like, so some people say I forgave myself and they're done. Right. And that's what's frustrating because it's like, it's a practice. Yeah is one of the biggest gratitudes of practice. Forgiveness is a practice. Accountability is a practice and effective communication is a practice. And the way that you practice is, is instituted into the five daily practices by saying today, this is what I want personally, experientially giving and receiving. This is who can help me and who I can help with it. How I'm going to get it done by understanding productivity, accessibility, and gratitude, studying our calendar, utilizing efficiencies, effectiveness, and statistical success, and then determining through the what, the who, and the how, the now, which is the time, space, and gravity that Blaine and I were talking about. The now is the process of prioritization within the alignment of my what, my who, and my how. See, most people, I know when somebody is executing on a what, a who, and a how, they are people who can make decisions quickly and they can prioritize by what's most important because they actually know what's important to them because they've taken the time to practice the what, the who, and the how, and now they're practicing prioritization, which is determining what activity has the most value in my day, and that's what I'm going to do now. And when that doesn't happen or it does happen, here's what I'm going to do next, determine upon the what, the how, the who, and the how. And then if you do that, you're blessed. Why? Because once you know the what, the who, the how, and the now, you can apply your why. You're not in search of your why. See, you apply your why. Your why is that connectivity, the greatest source of love, light, and lessons. Your why is how you feel. Your why is the desire that you must be what you can be to do your best, to expand, grow, and accelerate. You apply that to the what, the who, the how, and the now. See, when you have nothing to apply why to, you're in search of why. So people get confused and they think, well, you know, I'm not finding... Well, you can find light, love, and lessons in everything and apply your why to it from taking out the trash to any activity you get paid for or any activity you don't get paid for. So what you're saying is don't get lost down the rabbit hole of trying to find your why the whole time. What you? So I was listening to a, 
uh, it was a meetup that you gave in 2018 that you just repurposed on the playbook. And you basically said, go up to somebody and ask them what they want. And you'll be blown away at how few people actually know. And so what you're saying is that people are trying to find their why, what's my purpose. But if you don't know your what, you can't actually even apply your why anyway. So start with what? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And then the fastest way to the what is the who, right? Someone who can give you directions to exactly where you want to be because they're there already. Then the how becomes, you know, Bob Proctor-esque. You know, if you anyone studies Bob Proctor, he doesn't worry about the how. Right. Right. Because the how is a matter of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. The how is a matter of studying the activity you get paid for and the activity you don't get paid for. The how is created by angling to what you want by learning the lessons faster and faster. And if you know your what and your who, you can learn the lessons faster and faster. And then the guidepost, the GPS, is the now, right? What to do now. See, when, when you have the aspect that I don't know what I don't know, I'm not going to take myself so seriously, but I'm going to give everything I have that I must be what I can be, right? I have that law of Goya in place. None of it takes effect unless you know the what and the who, then the how, and then the now itself prioritizes all of those, and then you can apply your why. You apply your why when you're moving, when you're executing. You can't apply your why when you're sleeping, right? What we can do is download information to help determine our what, our who, and our how tomorrow, uh, but it's not going to apply our why. And it's an, an interesting, you know, chasm that people get caught up in is so many people on earth are in search of something that they can't find because it's already inside of them. It's right. already there. I love the analogy you use, Dave, of uh, somebody loses their keys in their house at 4 a.m. and they go outside and look under the, the streetlight because that's where the light is. I, I yeah. absolutely love that analogy. Um, Wayne right. Dyer. Wayne Dyer. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, yeah. You, um, you talk a lot about asking and attracting. And I think Alan and I have gotten way better at asking and attracting. Mm. Where do you think the resistance from receiving comes from? Because I think that's a little bit, Alan and I had this conversation the other day. I think we have a bottleneck when it comes to receiving. I think we're better at, at asking. Where do you think the resistance from receiving comes from? All ego-based consciousness that need to be separate in some form, either a need to be superior or a need to be inferior. Uh, and those needs, you know, manifest themselves that I'm not worthy of it or I don't need it. Right. See, when you change the construct of receiving to I receive so I can give when you truly grasp, grasp this concept, you're going to be as excited about receiving as giving. Because, you know, if you had a Ferrari and you loved it. Right. You love the Ferrari but you had no gas. Mm. Uh, as far as I know, there's not an electric Ferrari right now. So if you had no gas, what could your Ferrari? See, but when you said to yourself, I love the Ferrari and what the Ferrari needs is gas. Therefore, I am going to be so grateful to receive gas. I want gas so bad, right? I don't really want the Ferrari. I want to help the Ferrari by giving it gas. <laughs> <laughs> and so when you realize that we love each other, right? We, we're here to be of service and of value. And I want to empower over a billion people to be happy. In order to do that, I need to receive happiness. Right. And uh, I need to shop for the right things that can buy happiness. Uh, and, you know, whether that's allowing someone to have opportunities, allowing someone to have an inspirational, educational awareness, or whether it's someone, 
happiness is provided by providing them sustenance, food, uh, you know, education, wh whatever it may be. I every day am so fired up to receive and even more excited because I get to give it away and realize what I receive when I give it away. Go ahead, Kev. I was just going to say, what? where do you think the need to feel inferior comes from? I think the need to feel superior makes sense, but where, like, what's the why under somebody needing to feel inferior? Comparison is the thief of joy, my friend. So when we are comparing ourselves, it's one of the biggest lessons I've been teaching this last week, right? So many people take for granted what other people are wishing for, right? We're taking, you know, and this happened to me. I was keynoting with Mike Tyson in Chicago last week and, one of the better speeches that I've ever given. Two people left crying, an inspirational speech, and I step off stage and a woman collapsed and was breathing very heavy. And then as I kind of walked around and let people help her that knew what they were doing, you know, there's a doctor in the house, et cetera, the lady screamed that was helping her, oh my God, she's not breathing. At that moment, the thousand people in the room immediately realized we all were taking for granted what everybody was wishing for at that moment, mm. right? A breath. And that's happening every day during the pandemic that people are realizing, gosh, I'm taking for granted what other people are wishing for. And within that construct, that makes us feel inferior and separate uh, than, than anything else. Cause we're not worthy. If we're taking for granted things, mm. we're not worthy of, of, of other things. Mm. And when we have appreciation, forgiveness, and accountability, when we believe that we are living in the you know, realm between limitlessness and infinity, and all we have to do is clear the interference, we now don't feel inferior. Because see, if you think that you, you know, are supposed to attract things that don't exist, or you have to, to make it happen, then if it's not happening, you must not be worthy of it happening. If you haven't attracted it to yourself, you must not be worthy of it. And then that other people who have it already, you must be what? Inferior to the people who have what you want. Mm -hmm. Instead of elevating and celebrating, elevating and celebrating others, not creating resistance, void, shortages, obstacles, and separation of others, which makes us feel inferior, su superior for no reasons at all. But when we're connected to and through everything and everyone, we're elevating and celebrating other people. And now we feel what? Connected to and through them, not separate, inferior, superior to them. So, Dave, in the context of comparison, when it comes to feeling inferior, I think what happens to a lot of people is they'll compare a weakness that's unconscious. Um, so unconscious competency, you know, subconscious conscious, they're they're comparing to someone else's strength, their weakness. And if they were to do the opposite, they would realize that they're not inferior. Mm -hmm. So from your perspective, how do people make sure that they're not comparing someone else's highlight reel and their natural unconscious competencies to their own things they weren't necessarily born with, right? I mean, Kevin can spend the rest of his life trying to be as tall as me. It's just not going to happen. That doesn't mean he's any inferior, you know, just like I can try to be as strong as him or, or as, as muscle bound, but he's a mesomorph. I'm, I was an ectomorph. So right. what's from that perspective, from that lens, can you explain where this inferior superior thing comes from. Cause I think it stems from that. 
Yeah, I think it's re relative to that, right? I'm not sure it stems from it. And I'd like to always point out to people, be careful in the words that we choose, because if we are now saying that it stems, that means it grows from that seed. It actually, you know, is just relative to it. And let me explain why, because weaknesses and strength are relative to the place that they are. So if, for example, your height is a strength on the basketball court. Right. And, you know, Kevin's height is not, it is a weakness. Uh, but if I put Kevin in a middle seat on a commercial airline, <laughs> his height is a strength and your height is a weakness. Yeah. And in the realm of things, you're not a professional basketball player. And in a realm of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude, you know, the amount of, you know, strength of, of benefit, you know, Kevin has an advantage or relative advantage over you if you're flying 200 days a year and not playing basketball 200 days a year. Right. And so when we start realizing and appreciating, adding value to, and celebrating each other and elevating each other, because to elevate others is to elevate ourselves, to celebrate others is to create a celebrity of ourselves. You know, when we start realizing the connective tissue that we have that's not necessarily apparent with the human eyes, okay, there's a connective tissue that we cannot see. Why would one branch compete with another branch? We're all on the same tree. Right. And so when you can shift your mindset, heart set, and handset of what we give and receive to truly believe and understand that your height is my height, my shortness is your shortness and that we have different capabilities. So if there is, you know, an opportunity, we are trying to move people's strengths to a place that their strengths, not move their strengths to a place that their weaknesses. And I tell the story about, you know, SAP, uh, when the CEO of SAP was looking for human testing of software and there was a huge shortage because human beings don't like to do the same thing over and over and over and over again all day. And he's trying to think economically, how are they going to be able to test all these companies' softwares that are being created? And he realizes he comes home looking at his son who has, you know, is on the spectrum that his son loves to do the same thing over and over and over and over and again. The greatest weakness that society has put on his son that he's on the spectrum, that he has Asperger's, right? Now becomes a strength to SAP and they hire thousands of people and give them hundreds of thousands of dollars in salary to test software, which they enjoy innately within their quantum being, just like you're quantumly tall and Kevin and I are quantumly short. Right. And now we've moved a weakness and made it a strength and everybody feels better. We've elevated each other and celebrated each other. Right. So powerful. Um, on our last call, Dave, we were talking about, uh, the consistency, how consistent you are as a human being. Mm. One thing that I've never seen you, I don't want to say talk about, but seen happen to you is you burn out. What do you think a common misconception of burning out is like, what's something more people need to know about burnout? Burnout's a matter of staying in the anxiety zone too long, <clears throat> right? Burnout is a matter of of not vacationing every day, not having an unwinding routine, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, burnout is creating interference, 
right? It, burnout is creating in the interference. So slowly but surely, there's more and more interference and you're not able to draw from the greatest source of light, love, and lessons at all times. See, my focus in paradigm, once it's to clear the interference, I just receive more and more energy. So I'm continuing getting away from ever burning out. And, you know, that consistent behavior, the discipline that I have, the routine that I created and the adaptable routine based on four core values of gratitude, gratitude, forgiveness, accountability, and inspiration based on five daily practices of knowing my what, my who, my how, my now, and my why, right? Applying that. And look, I give this stuff away for free, as you guys know, right? I'm going to repeat right now, david at dmeltzer.com. I will give you this. They're in my book. I'll sign it to you, send it to you, pay for it, ship it, email, you know, whatever you want. Just please, david at dmeltzer.com. There is no burnout in my life. I have no, it, it would almost be physically impossible for me to burn out because as long as I stick to that routine, mm. you know, I, I think people that tell me, you know, I got to go on six weeks vacation, go off the grid, et cetera. Why would you do that? Like, why would you want it? It, it, it is so far from my belief system of how to access energy and to be productive, accessible, and gracious. I vacation every day. I stop, drop, and roll every day. I don't allow myself to get outside of any interference, like my interference every day, my net result in a day is to decrease the amount of interference between me and that which created me, that which I'm connected to and through and everybody else. So if I'm learning every day how to do that, to make it minutes and moments with the need to be right, offended, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful, whatever else creates resistance, then I'm in no jeopardy of burning out. Mm. Is that why you have a sleep coach as well? Because yeah, sure. sleep is a, okay. So Dave, um, I think a lot of people have a belief subconsciously or unconsciously that they are going to get worse over time. Um, like they're, they're not going to function as optimally. And I, even listening to you two years ago, earlier today, like on my commute to the studio today, it was like, it was clear that you've gotten better genuinely. And I don't mean that in a negative way. You've yeah. clearly gotten better. Thank you. You're welcome. Absolutely. And it's interesting because I think a lot of people have the opposite belief, which self-perpetuates itself. So you're getting better and you're more accessible and productive now today as a 50, I think, what are you, 52? 53. 53. 53. And do you believe that at 55, you'll be even more effective than you are now? No doubt. Okay. So mathematically, there's no doubt. Okay, perfect. And I agree with that too, but people think I'm crazy. So, you know, what is what is underneath this and how do we help people shift that paradigm? Embodiment. So people are confusing the temporary state that exists in the realm, the man-made construct of time. Eventually, right, the body does diminish in its capacity. And I know that there's people in the mindset realm that says that that is a man-made construct as well, the idea that the body ages. Right. Uh, and you can see that we've learned to increase, you know, I, I've never seen more beautiful 80 year old women in my life. <laughs> like, because they don't believe they, they don't go into the mindset that when they're 50, they're an old person and wearing a mock, you know, and sitting on and rocking, they're staying active. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if, if people 
you know, if, if that is truly the same type of mindset that I believe exists in the subconscious and unconscious that you only get better, expand, grow and accelerate and learn. See, I know in the mindset realm that if you're learning, you're growing and you're only going to be better. And if you practice something, you're only get better and better. You know, that's what excites me about what I do. That's what excited me about Bob Proctor is that when I sat there years ago when he turned 80 and I could have retired again, and my wife is like, let's go travel the world. You know, you, you, you go at it so hard every day, you know, you know, and I'm like, oh, you know, give me until at least I'm 60 to change what I'm doing, <laughs> you know, but because my youngest son will be going to college, right? I'm not, you know, there's no reason, you know, to travel the whole world when I want to be with my children. So I said, what can I do? And I'm watching Bob Proctor and I'm like, holy the moly, right? This guy's better than he's ever been. And the funniest thing is he's still reading the same slides that he was reading 20 years ago. He hasn't even changed the slides. The only thing that's changed is not on a, a turnstile projector. Was, you know, it's, it's actually on a computer. But like literally the guy's reading the same slide, but he's better. I, I, that's why I said thank you to you because I said the same thing to Bob. You know, I was listening to you and I hope you don't take offense. But you're better, you're better now than when I met you. You're be- he's 80, traveling the world, teaching and empowering and elevating and celebrating. You know, and so for me, that's where, but I'm still grasping the concept that my body, the embodiment can be better when I'm 80 than it is when I'm 53. I know everything else can be better. And I'm working on trying to change my perspective and see if my reality could be that we're sitting here when when I'm 80 and you guys are like, Dave, like, oh my God, I remember when when your arms, when your arms look like that, you know, now look at yourself. Dave, uh, sorry, Kev, I didn't mean no, to No, no, you're good, Amber, Amber. I wanted to ask you about this because it's like, and do you have any regrets around the way you used to treat your mind and body because you realized the the negative compound effect it's had now that you're older and older and older? Because honestly, I'm 32. Again, I'm young. But like, I do have some regrets about the way I treated my body and how I didn't take sleep as seriously as I do now. Like, of course. And again, I don't live in regret. I, I use that as fuel to be better in the future. But what do you think you should have done better to take care of your brain and your body and your, your heart and your soul um, from a younger age? Yeah, I, look, I, I don't regret it. I actually take a different perspective is I'm so grateful that I finally learned the lesson. Okay, <laughs> perfect. I, like okay. I am, I am. Like I, you, you just don't wake up and, and know these things, right? And look, I, I will articulate this again. You know, this idea of aggregation, acceleration, and compound interest of, you know, habits, it works in negative behavior's favor, right? Because when we have a negative habit, like partying, right, creating interference in our life, we don't expect a negative result ever, right? Right, And yet it aggregates on itself. And when we're 90% of the way there, we finally get an awareness of a result and then you know, it gets difficult because it's doubling and then pretty soon it's doubled and doubled and doubled and we got a really tragic result. Well, the problem with positive habits, especially when we're younger, when we don't know what we don't know and we have to learn the lessons by identifying pain, struggles, setbacks, failures, and mistakes, and then we get the lesson, is when we have a positive behavior, we, and you guys know this in the realm of that you teach, Right. People want instant results. They start working out with you guys, right? And two weeks later, they're like, I, I haven't lost any weight. I, I, I'm not any, I'm sore. Like, 
come on, it's the same exact math that applies. Behavior right. is behavior. And so I have no regrets at all. I, I would prefer you guys change the words that you use to, I'm so grateful that I've learned that lesson. Right. And I, st- and I started aggregating things in the right direction and trajectory. What lessons in particular did you finally learn where it's like, oh, I'm so grateful that I learned that lesson? Because had I not learned that lesson, I wouldn't be able to be so productive and accessible at 53. Yeah. So number one, to prioritize my health. Right. I will repeat this to everyone. When you are healthy, you get as many wishes as you want every day. And there's nothing more valuable than a wish. When you're not healthy, you only have one wish. And uh, so to put my health, a minimum of an hour a day on my health has been the greatest lesson. Uh, And so when you put and prioritize your health, you're not going to do things to create interference with that which you already are. See, the other big nuance and lesson that I learned through the whole progression is I am healthy. I am happy. I am worthy. And I am wealthy. What am I doing to interfere with that? Once I shifted that paradigm, it became a great lesson because instead of thinking, I'm going to go get healthy, I'm going to go get wealthy, I'm going to go get worthy, I'm going to go get happy. What do I need to do? Where's my why? Right. I followed these values and the what, the who, the how, the now and applied my why and realized I am all these things. What am I doing to interfere with it? Dave, we love you. We appreciate you. I think we got to let you go. All the love, all the gratitude. The greatest guys in the world. I'm telling you, you've made. I learned more from you two over these years, and I'm so proud of both of you. Uh, as a celebrant in an elevator, uh, you know, like I said, there's no greater joy in my life to have elevated others, to elevate myself, and to empower others like you two that are now empowering so many people. I celebrate you both. Congratulations, and I love you too. Thank, thank you, Dave, Dave. I just thank you so much. I just want to say this really quickly. I've had many, many mentors, and the more mentors I've had, the more and more I appreciate what you are doing for Kevin and I because when it comes to the consistent, persistent pursuit of your potential, your consistency and your persistency is truly unmatched. And I, I just admire that very much. Um, you're, I, I listened to your thing. Uh, it was about coaches, trainers, and mentors and I, and the difference of them. And you're all three for us. So I just want to say thank you again. Seriously. Thank you, my brothers. I'll see you, you in a couple of weeks. The greatest mentees in the world, Kevin Palmieri and Alan Lazarus. And I learned how to pronounce his name after all these years. And that was three for three. I didn't even scoop it up. All right, everyone. It is Thursday. That's Thankful Thursdays. Remember, do not take for granted what other people are wishing for. Be as thankful as possible. Do not regret anything. Just find the light, the love, and the lessons in it. David at dmelcher.com if you want those five daily practices, my ebook, audiobook, or even a signed copy sent to you and paid for by me. Not a problem. David at dmelcher.com. It is Thankful Thursdays, which means be kind to your future self and do good deeds. We'll see you tomorrow.